Man, I've, I've come to find out the world is divided into two big groups. There are the people that are in favor of the eco temperature setting on your home thermostat or in your, maybe in your car where you just set it to a certain temperature and you do not touch it again. And there are the people that constantly reset the thermostat at any change of climate temperature that bothers them, one or the other. So hmm. before I reveal where I fall in this category, what I want to know is, are you an eco-automatic temperature person or are you a manual, uh, constantly reset the, the thermostat based on your personal preference at that very moment? Where do you fall in this world? I'm, I'm going wild card on you. <laughs> oh, the, I live in a good. drafty-ass Australian house and we leave the windows open. Oh, so you're you're going nature. You're like pure, pure, yeah. just nature based. You're like whatever it is yeah, outside, yeah. it's going to be like that in the inside. Exactly. Um, I mean, the weather here is, uh, you know, it rarely gets below um, sixty for our Americans, or you know, below uh, sixteen or so for for the uh, rest of the world, and uh, never gets, you know, rare, rarely even gets into the eighties, um, or you know. I don't know, 25, 30. Uh, so it, it's, it's very nice. Um, even in, so, but so, even in the winter, like you don't have a heat setting, you don't have to, you well, know. we don't have centralized. We don't have central air. Oh, this so, is, so this is a whole new category. So by definition, yeah, then everyone's yeah. on their own. There's no, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so, so when, when the temperature outside falls below, uh, I don't know, it's when it's in the fifties, I usually turn on the heater, uh, in our bedroom at night while we're sleeping. And it's usually set to like 68 because, um, you know, we're under covers and, you know, pajamas and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, sometimes we raise it a, t- a degree or two, but, you know, we're, we're not, uh, we're not, you know, live adjusting. So, so the people who have like, you know, the automated thermostats is like, I don't know. Australia says maybe in 20 years, right? <laughs> So you, so what? I, it's almost like you're already like embracing edge computing. Like you're a fully decentralized, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, set. Exactly. Like everybody in your house. I assume all the children. Then do they have access to their space heaters? You know, they yeah. can just do whatever they want. Everyone does what they want. Yes. So you're like full on anarchy. This is like I hadn't really considered this as another option. This exactly this seems our this, house full on anarchy. Wait, wait till you see what the dog did. <laughs> all right, but now do you then? So now uh, for dad ops. Like, you know, like one of the key dad ops uh, I do around the house is like, I will just like randomly uh, pick up devices and plug them in. Right. Like I'll just see something like a, yeah, an iPad, yeah. dot, you know, you're just like, everything needs to be charged. And it's just, at some point, I think everyone just, you just plug things in that way. It's just easier that they're charged rather than trying to remind people to do it. Right. So, um, so is a dad ops in Australia is, do you have to walk around and like turn off the space heaters like when people leave or like mm. adjust it or is, are there some rules in the house are these yeah yeah but the rule is you get your space heater taken away if you ever leave it alone oh i like it right? so this is uh this okay a little bit stick there's not a lot of carrot here it's just basically <laughs> you're going to freeze well we barely barely use the space heaters but like you know that everyone is like you know everybody knows space heaters cause fires right and and they all have the thing like if they get knocked over they turn themselves off but you know, you just keep that level of paranoia up. Um, we haven't had any problems with it. It's just have you, you really know. executed? Like you took the space here away for a long period no. of time, and it was no. called. So this is an idle no. threat, right? This is no, it's an idle threat. I mean, no, nobody does it, right? It's just like you know, hey, hey, make sure you do that. And and so far, so good on that. Um, and then of course, uh, the the you know the charging people's phones and stuff for them. <clears throat> that, that's a combination of parenting move where. Uh, every night, um, kind of like, you know, when the kids are getting ready for bed, I collect their electronics, like laptops and phones and stuff and plug them in also. So they can't like stay up late on their phones and laptops. Right. So, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, you know, good parenting, good cop. (laughs) Right. Well, there's kind of a bonus. You could, you could sell it as a benefit. I'm taking your phones away, but don't worry. I will return them charged. So you can kind of say it's valet charging service or you can say some type of uh, form of punishment because, you know, you don't trust your children to like be in their bedrooms with their phones at night. So, well, you know, you can only, you can only, you know, stumble upon them at 1am so many times before you're like, this cannot continue. This can continue. All right. Well, 
I, I do still want to pin you down. Like, so clearly Australia anarchy, no surprise there. Now that I think about it, that's normally how this goes, but harken back to a time when you lived in Austin, Texas, you had centralized air back in and, the first world. Um, <laughs> and you were faced with this <laughs> dilemma. Did you, did you go eco an automatic thermostat or were you just constantly adjusting it up and down? No, it was, it was automatic and it was set to something, you know, Barely, you know, something that would would have made Jimmy Carter happy, right? It would have been like, you know, 68 in the winter and like, you know, 78 in the summer or something, you know, where it's, you know, just to the edge of like, ah, fine, turn on the aircon, right? See, but this is, I think you're right. So you can tell like we're in the same peer group because I think at some point, like you just have to embrace this. You're like, you become the father who becomes, uh, because that's where I'm at. Like, I'm just eco-friendly and it's basically 68, 74, right? I'm just like... We said it 74. like, in, in my mind, right. You're like, even like, this is pretty crazy. You're like, uh, not, I don't know. We'll have to figure out what that is in Celsius. Let, <laughs> well, I, 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 the, think, uh, I think it's, I think it's cause our house had the original air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And like when we bought the house in 2005, they're like, this thing's on its last legs. It was yeah. still there in 2016. It's still there in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely is. You have to take a measurement of, of your equipment as well as your insulation. So my house, I think it's fine. 74 yeah. doesn't run uh, that much. Yeah, I put in more insulation, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, there, there, there's definitely there's definitely a part of me that's like, oh, I wish I owned my own house again. You know, I, I own the house in Austin, do but I don't live in it. No, don't you do know, it. But then you could like, oh, I could put in more insulation. <laughs> no, don't do it. It's like, cause then you're having these. Issues. But I, I could be I, more eco friendly. Yeah, that's true. But then you know, I always come back. But th- so then I, of course, though, like. In the house I live, I feel like you know that I would say uh, the rest of the house not really on board with the eco. They're never on like in the morning, so it's kind of this constant like fight. It's like people are constantly adjusting, and I'm just like, if we just left it alone, right? And the same thing in the car. I don't know if you have the same kind of feeling in uh, a car. Like you can just leave it on, like pick a number, like maybe in the summer, right? Like 72, yeah. winter 68, like, and just leave it alone. But I would say the rest of uh, rest of uh, the the group here in Austin, you know, the team. They're they're not on this team. They're constantly turning on the fans, yeah. I, uh, turning I it up and down. Ancient car. Yeah, I have an ancient car that only has you know dials that say one to five. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have a temperature. But doesn't it it's seem just, like you know, you're going to agree with me? It seems so magical. Though. Like if we just set it and we just leave it, it will find oh, it. Yeah, it will work magical. itself out. Like you don't have to do anything. But then people are constantly turning it down. It gets too cold. Turning up, it gets hot. Or fans are on. So I don't know. I mean, should I just let this go? Should I give up on this fight? Or should I should I continue on? Every morning, well, Brandon, resetting everything to eco. You could probably, probably, you probably have some sort of automated thermostats where you can just say, yes. like, you know, every morning, 5 a.m., everything gets reset. <laughs> <laughs> the house rules, right? The house defaults. And they're like, you know, and so every day, you know, you'll come back in, it'll be set to like, you know, 60, you know, 64 on the air conditioning. <laughs> and then you're like, doesn't matter. 4 a.m., it all resets. That's right. Well, Fresh slate every day. It is. Well, that's the Google Nest uh, learning algorithm, which honestly, it doesn't really learn anything. What's better is just go in there and set it. Set it yourself. Just give your, find your upper bound, your lower bound, and try to convince everyone. So maybe what I need is, uh, uh, oh, this would really get me in trouble. If I could like somehow lock all the thermostats so like no one could adjust them, but everyone, I would, that would, <laughs> you, that you would don't need, uh, you don't need a riot. controls. You yeah. need branded controls. Yeah. It would incite a riot though. Like people would just, they would, they would just, uh, this came up the other day and I was, uh, I was, I was told about how uh, everyone disliked my um, my approach, but you know what I did, Matt Ray? I uh, I ignored it. I didn't do anything. <laughs> no, no, no. You you smiled and nodded, and then you know, a few hours later, you put it back to the way you wanted it. Today's episode is sponsored by ConfigCat. ConfigCat is a feature flag service that makes it simple to toggle features on and off. You add feature flags to your code by using ConfigCat libraries. ConfigCat includes libraries for over 10 different programming languages, including Python, Java, and Node.js. Once you've added feature flags, you can easily toggle features on or off using the dashboard. By using ConfigCat, you can help hide or expose features in your application without redeploying code, and you can set up targeting rules to control who gets access to new features. ConfigCat allows you to get features out faster, test in production, and quickly perform rollbacks when needed. With ConfigCat's simple API and clear documentation, You'll have a proof of concept up and running in a matter of minutes. Training new team members is simple. And best of all, you don't pay extra as your team grows. Start today by visiting configcat.com and signing up for their forever free plan. Release features faster with less risk with ConfigCat. And of course, we thank ConfigCat for sponsoring our show. 
All right, Matt. So there's been a couple of announcements that we've seen this week. One that caught my eye was uh, Red Hat Open Source's uh, Stack Rocks. It's basically a Kubernetes security product. And it's a good product and something that looks like it's been in the works for a while. Basically, it'll go through and find various vulnerabilities uh, in your containers and make recommendations. So again, solid product. But the part that I think is more interesting here is what they have done is they have essentially open source this upstream, right? So Red Hat seems at this point, I mean, and maybe they've been doing this forever, but it feels like it's now just down to their model is buy a company or, you know, start a project. It now slots in as a upstream uh, to, I guess, you know, in this case, Red Hat Linux. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and, it, it, and I think of it, so it makes sense, right? Sort of like just an ongoing beta, right? So you can always play around with the new stuff. Uh, and then, of course, then it's uh, packaged up in whatever the right uh, packaging, whether it be Red Hat, Open. Yeah, yeah. Uh, open. And so my, I, I would say when I think about this, it's like, uh, it makes perfect sense, right? And, of course, there was the, the controversy around CentOS, of course, right? They moved CentOS upstream, right? And then, of course, we can mm-hmm. talk about Rocky Linux in a second, a little bit more about it. But what I would say is they have achieved the dream of all open source companies. Oh, all absolutely. open source companies started out with this idea that like everything would be open source upstream and mm-hmm. that the value that the open source company would be able to sell was that like, Oh, well we package it up in this really well-tested um, well-supported um, you know, indemnified product that you uh, customer would buy. And that would be enough. And that would be enough yep. for everyone to create hundreds of companies worth billions and billions of dollars, right? So we went back, I'm going all the way back to like, you know, 2000, 2000, like this is the dream. Everyone was going to yeah. do this. There were millions of companies. We, you and I even tried to work at some with mixed success or no success, depending on how you <laughs> want to characterize Mixed. It. Um, Mixed. And such that like, that was the dream. And so yes. as I look back in history now, though, is the only person to really do it is Red Hat. Like there, and they, and, and for a while it was like, well, the reason it was, was Linux, right? That was the reason. Red Hat Linux had this special place in the world that everyone cared about and it was like horizontal technology. And we could say they, oh, that's why they did it because they had Linux. But now I see them, you know, I feel like they, they basically are doing this playbook and they're, I'm going to say they're successful enough that like they've proven that this strategy works for them. But my question is, why does it not work for anyone else? Or am I just missing it? Like, are there other companies that are really following the playbook just like Red Hat and achieving massive success that I'm just like ignoring for some reason? Yeah, I mean, Red Hat's been doing this forever, right? I think one of their first acquisitions was maybe Cygnus back in like the 90s. You know, Tell Cygnus the command was making... line tools, right? Like the... No, Cygnus or... was one of the like main players behind GCC. Okay, Right. I mean, we're talking, you know, embedded systems, GCC, way back in the day. And, you know, Red Hat has bought, they, they've bought uh, content management systems and open sourced them. They've bought, um, you know, JBoss and open sourced it. Yep. You know, every, everything they buy eventually gets, you know, open sourced and put into this model. And, and the model is, of course, you know, it's a pain to do open source, you know, by yourself. Uh, let us eat eat that pain for you, and uh, you know the people who enjoy pain can can be the the beta testers and find all the bugs and run Fedora, and you know we will give you a stable Linux, you know that, you know for twelve years at a time, and yeah you know, that that works. Um, it's hard to, it's really hard for someone else to copy that model uh, because you know you have to have something that is so bedrock that um you know you could you couldn't see yourself without it and you know you kind of feel obligated to pay for it uh if you are certain categories of of organizations um i mean chef did pursue that path uh you know but then they got acquired they haven't changed that model yet but I don't, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not speaking out of turn. They have not changed that model as far as like Chef and Inspec and stuff go. But that experiment didn't get long enough to like prove itself out. Right. But, and but everyone think else about, who's think kind about of, the companies, like I would say the experiment other than Red Hat, like everyone yeah. had, like everybody wanted this. This is what everybody wanted. Because uh, think about the, to our days where we would start to fight over like uh, uh, certain companies we're at where it's like, because the path is like you try to do this. 
and you don't, and you get to the point that you you feel like you're not making enough money. And then what do you start to do? You kind of like inch into open core, right? You're like, oh, okay, we're going to have some proprietary features not available in the open source community, uh, but it's going to, we're going to have the base product, this open core thing. And then as you always like to point out, eventually you make your community, the competition and you know, everybody's mad. Everyone from the company's getting fired. Investors are upset. It's not working, right? So like, we know how that yeah. plays out. But somehow, Red Hat has not only done this, right? But they've maintained this for in a very long period of time. So my other theory was like, well, maybe they just trained everybody that buys RHEL. Like the people that buy RHEL are just know that this is how it is, right? That they've completely yeah. understand it. Well, and they're trained but, but to it, it. And so just to finish that thought, it's just to say it's like, and, and therefore, like when they go to Red Hat, they just expect it. It's just like, well, this is how you buy here. But they don't, they won't accept it from most other companies, any other open source companies. They're like, they will experience the pain. They're like, ah, I'll just figure it out on my own. I don't need your help to buy your product. Well, you, you, you have to prove, you have to prove that you are a open source good citizen for quite a long amount of time before people trust that model, right? Because the, otherwise they're like, hey, I don't know, you know what sketchy stuff you're going to play. I'll stick with the open source. Or, you know, um, or, you know, you guys are, you know, playing around with licensing um, where we can't, you know, we can't really lock into to this model and we'll have to, you know, not embrace it wholeheartedly and look at alternatives. I don't know. I don't know about SUSE. Like how, how open source is their model? Because, you know, they, they, they run, you know, they run uh, uh, Tumbleweed, I think is. You know, whatever they have, they have the rolling open source distro that is, is like uh, like Fedora. Um, as far as I know, they, they mostly keep that sort of uh, and Rancher uh, kind of kept that model, too. And, you know, now they're together. So I, I think they're not alone uh, in that model, but it's it's uh, it's a small number of companies. And, and the key is, you know, you have to prove that you can continue to. Uh, nourish the open source while, you know, providing a, a stable um, commercial offering. And so a lot of companies, they don't care that Red Hat's open source. You know, they really don't. They just care that it's cheaper than AIX and, and it runs all their apps. Um, and, and, and Red Hat has also, you know, embraced the stodginess of being the most enterprise of the Linuxes, right? So, you know, Canonical, um, you know, they, they've tried to follow that path, but like, uh, you know, anyone can tell you like Ubuntu release to Ubuntu release is not always a pleasant experience. And, and, you know, they've been known to, to make some, some, you know, big changes from time to time, uh, depending on, you know, if they're into TVs or mobile handsets, you know, things, <laughs> things get dicey over in that land. So <laughs> Red Hat has kept the, you know, steady as she goes, you know, slow and boring and, you know, it works because now they're just like this, you know, they've got that inertia going and, uh, and, you know, maybe it, it continues to pay off for IBM. They haven't really changed any of their strategy as far as we could tell, other than uh, a lot more uh, S390 support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think this is going to go down. This is going to be back to, like, my music analogy. It's like sometimes there's a hit song and, like, no one can explain it. Like, people will be like, wait a minute, there were 10 songs like it before and there were 100 songs like it after. But for some reason, this one song is the hit song. And I, and I feel like a little bit like this with Red Hat. I always feel like this, like, I don't, I can't even explain why, why it has persisted so successful. I mean, I think it deserves its success, but the fact that no one else can really replicate it, having so many people tried, um, is just, a, to me, it will always go down as like one of these weird, you know, flukes of time. And maybe what you hit on before is the fact that it, the, if you will, the, the, the Darth Vader in the story are things that are like AIX and Solaris and proprietary hardware. I mean, it's all long gone. Like we've completely forgotten about that. But the fact that they maybe were originally positioned that way and always were perceived as so much cheaper, where some of the other things we talk about kind of always started free, right? There was like you were or they weren't they weren't, if you will, they didn't have big, um, you know, Darth Vader like figures they were taking down. It was just like, hey. You know, just sort of like, well, and, that's and, great and, that you built that product, but whatever. And the things that, you know, they're, they're open source, the, the fact that they're open source means that, you know, when customers have weird uh, itches to scratch, you know, they can get at them. And, and Red Hat has always been super accommodating of, you know, running on, you know, mainframes or, you know, esoteric, 
expensive hardware, high-end hardware, not the low-end. You know, they 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 they've never been the like, hey, let's uh, let's run on the you know r- latest Rift Five or anything. But um, they they take a lot of that risk out of open source, and, and that's what people are buying. They they're like they want they want that insurance policy, while knowing that wherever they head with Linux, Red Hat's going to be there. And and now we're seeing that with with Kubernetes, right? With with you know. They, they've made announcements that everything is OpenShift. You know, the future is all about OpenShift. And as OpenShift becomes, uh, or, you know, as Kubernetes uh, becomes the uh, the data center operating system of, of the future and CLS, becomes baby. stable. There you go. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the stable, you know, base for, for everything going forward. Red Hat is making sure, you know, Red Hat IBM are making sure that they've got their fingers in every part of it. You know, someone pointed out to me the other day that Red Hat, kind of make sure that they have about 20% of any given Kubernetes project staffed by their people, right? So, you know, if there's, if there's a project and it's got 10 people on it, you know, they're going to be two Red Hat people. <laughs> and so you think that's you like know, inside just, Red Hat? Is that um, like a secret role? I don't know. I, I, this is completely outsider. This is not like insider This isn't like when it's we're like, like 100% researched and we know what we're talking about like all the time. No, this is, no, this no, is no, speculation this is, by you to, to be clear. This is anecdata. This is, you know, this is a, a Kubernetes insider was like, have you ever noticed that? And I was like, cool. <laughs> but you got to think it makes sense. So there is this threshold, right, where you you think if it's really important to your company, you want people on it. But at yeah. the same time, you don't want to be perceived as domineering. Uh, or, domineering. You know. So you think 20% feels like a pretty safe number, right? You know? Well, you, you know that you're going to get your voice heard. And and I'm sure I'm sure that is not a hard and fast number. I'm sure there are projects with zero. You know that you know Red Hat's like not this year, right? And, and maybe they're, they're led in the you know, I I don't know. We'll have, we know enough people inside Red Hat. Well, we'll have to do some digging to see. Like it kind of feels is there like, a policy? I, may, policy would be too much. There would be sort of like some kind of general strategy. Like they would kind of say it's like we generally want to have X uh, percentage of people on a project. I mean, I I would think that would be well. I mean, you know, may, maybe we can leave that as homework to to our listeners. You know, maybe they can go through like every special interest group steering committee or something like that. And I and you know, it, if they are certain, you know, there are probably things related to like I don't know, uh, auditing and governance and you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I no, who was it? Management. We should give it. Wasn't the University of Minnesota who was kicked out of uh, patches for Linux now because they were like, remember we talked about that? They were like yeah. submitting security. So hey, new project for those PhD students. Go through <laughs> and analyze who is on all the open source projects and come back with a, a report about percentiles of who's you doing it because that would be that would be a good paper. I'd read it. We covered on the show and. and yeah, the next KubeCon, you could have your paper ready in time for that. You get yourself a nice twenty-minute slot to talk about the statistics of who's contributing. Yeah. You know, it, it's easy enough to find. And I think um, so too. Maybe and maybe the Linux people let you back in. Probably not based on that email thread. But I mean, <laughs> well, you got to do something. You can something. always transfer. I, I've heard good <laughs> things about Michigan. Um, you know, who else does Ohio State? You know, it's Wisconsin. not that far Wisconsin's away from Minnesota. Wisconsin's probably closest. It sounds like because it sounded like it was Wisconsin. Every, it sounded like it was the entire uh, university system there in Minnesota. It was like, like Come you know, not first. just the University of Minnesota, but the regional <laughs> campuses. So, so you got to think they're not popular at the at the meetups. It's like, thanks a lot, team. Really appreciate it. All right. Well, the other <laughs> question uh, I wanted to ask on this is like, so the only we haven't seen a threat to Red Hat Linux or in a very long time. You know, it's probably so long we can't even think of it. But Rocky Linux is is coming out right so they announced their first uh i guess what beta version or something like that's coming out so do you think and it just to refresh everyone's uh memory so basically CentOS was moved upstream people were frustrated because they liked it downstream they're essentially uh i think we can uh, safely assume they didn't want to pay for red hat so CentOS was like the perfect uh, thing to use so Rocky Linux has come in. Um, I think it's the leader. You were talking about a different one, but I, I think it's the leader uh, to replace CentOS. Yeah, the other one is Alma Linux. Yeah, um, the name alone is, is not good, so it's not going to win. Rocky Linux is clearly <laughs> going to be the better name. Well, so yeah, Rocky's. You know why Rocky's going to win? Because if you start digging into uh, who's behind it, Amazon. That's what I was going to say. So that's what I put in here. I put in a note. It's like it has a lot of. It's got a bunch of people. So do you think at Amazon they're like, hey? we need to make sure we have a certain amount of people staffed up on Rocky Linux. Because, 20% right there, right? Right. Well, I was like, I think maybe they got the full two pizza team. Although we learned, no, foreshadowing no. for next week, 
that the two pizza team is not what they use. So tune in next week and we'll reveal what Amazon calls the new two, new two pizza team. But anyway, putting that aside. Is it the $200 takeout order? No, no, no. I'll, tune in next week when we uh, we promised we were going to read the book and we're going to. Oh man, so, I got to get so on that. You better get on that. So anyway, but my point was, I think for sure Amazon is on this because you got to think it's like, oh, this is the chance, right? This is the opening to displace RHEL is to like kind of take control. So do you think Rocky Linux has the chance to kind of like actually break into this juggernaut of rel is this going to be the thing that breaks it loose well there's there's nothing to break in it's just you know you have the centos community you know there's actual community there is big enough to migrate to you know to just there were are people who want you know the 8.2 release they don't want the rolling eight you know or the rolling you know nine to be they want you know 8.2 8.3 8.4 so yes i i think i think I think Rocky and Alma are going to be like, you know, they're going to be the, the, the CentOS and scientific Linux, if you will. <laughs> right. So it says the note I made here is AWS is hosting the build infrastructure for Rocky Linux. So do you think they had to write a full six page memo to get that approved? Or was it like, nah, that's like a two paragraph memo. You think, I don't know. I wonder if they had to go through the full, do you think they had to do the full press release, uh, uh, fake press release first to get it? Or they're just like, could they just walk into Jassy's office and be like, Hey, this is our opening to take over and get some control of Linux. Can we, can we just kick these people some, uh, some EC2 servers? It, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if it has to be that aggressive a thing, right? I, I think, you know, a- Amazon has a uh, an open source office now that, you know, is there to make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, Amazon seems to be a, a good open source contributor. And, you know, we've, we've obviously talked about things like uh, open search and, and, and the like. And, you know, kicking somebody some servers is not that big a deal. Like, it doesn't right? seem I, like, I, I mean, to be honest, like, I think we kind of know Peter Ulander enough. Like, he doesn't seem like a guy that's going to, like, really demand six-page memos. They, you know, no. Hopefully that doesn't get him fired from Amazon. But it seems like you could just go to him and be like, I think this is a really good idea. And they, I think you would look down the management principles at Amazon and pick one that kind of, like, you went was, like, uh, act fast, right? You know, bias for action. Like, that's what I would do. I would just walk in and be like, hey, bias for action. We need to do this today. And then when they said six-page memo, I'd be like, did you not read this bias for action uh, uh, management do, principle? Do you think they have, like, like, like some, a tearaway pad, notepad, and it's just, like, pre, pre, pre-printed, I've, like, six-page paper exemption, and you just have, like, little check boxes, and you're like, acting fast. I mean, things may have changed, but I think you could walk in, you know, to Ulander's office with like some reasonably good wine or beer and probably get things done. This episode is brought to you by StrongDM. Are you managing a gazillion SSH database passwords and Kubernetes certs? How do you manage an audit at that scale? Meet StrongDM, the only way to simplify infrastructure access and audit controls across any environment, no matter how diverse. StrongDM extends any SSO to centrally manage access to databases, servers, and Kubernetes clusters, so onboarding and offboarding can be done in a single click. Escalate privileges with just-in-time access and automatically log every query and command. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi, StrongDM is the only way to manage access and audit controls at scale without disrupting your workflows. Start your 14-day free trial at strongdm.com sdt. There's no credit card required. That's strongdm.com slash sdt and of course we thank strongdm for sponsoring our show all right matt well amazon web services uh, announced their earnings and uh, no surprise here revenue uh, was up 32 percent to uh, 13.5 billion dollars for the quarter um, beating uh, analyst ex- estimates so you know and i think the thing that's uh, interesting i think and jeff uh Bezos or Bezos, however we want to say it correctly, on uh, his final, I guess, note to shareholders, he he wrote uh, called out AWS. In just 15 years, AWS has become a 54 billion dollar annual sales run rate business, competing against the world's le- largest technology companies, and his growth is accelerating up 32 percent year over year. So, not a ton of surprise here, right? I think it's yeah. amazing to kind of watch this thing just sort of just continue to. Uh, Move up, and there's I think an interesting um, kind of like a pointless stat, but I, I like it anyway. I think there's some projections <laughs> that uh, AWS, because IBM spun out uh, Kindrel, as we've talked about, AWS looks like it, you know will overtake IBM here in the not too distant future, which is I don't know, you know, probably meaningless, but kind of symbolic in some interesting way. But I thought what I thought was interesting though is uh, I listened to 
uh, the Cloudcast episode this week. It's really good. I recommend everyone um, check it out. And uh, Brian Gracely kind of asked the question, you know, you know, as fast as the public cloud is growing, um, is it actually growing fast enough? So to paraphrase what he's kind of pointed out is that roughly the cloud market, is, or sorry, all overall IT market is about $4 trillion of spend. Like take that in for a second. Wow, we spent a lot of money on technology. And uh, by most estimates, if we add up all the public cloud vendors, let's just be a little optimistic and say it's 10%, it's 400 billion. And the question he kind of asked there is, you know, should it be growing faster? And I think his analogy that he kind of picked out was uh, looking at, uh, you know, smartphones like Apple and uh, Android is that for the most part, those kind of technologies came out around the same time. And now I I would say between, you know, uh, iOS and Android, you probably have, you know, 90% 90% market share, right? You know, most phones are running one or the other. At least. I mean, at least, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. even higher, right? So, yeah, it's probably like 99. I mean, there, there are only so many Pine phones out there. <laughs> right. Like it is. I mean, when you think about it, right? And I think that's the, the part that's kind of his analogy is interesting. It's like, it would be, you would have to work to get a flip phone, to one, find a flip phone, and two, to make <laughs> sure it actually got on the network correctly. It had like the, the 4G or, you know, now quote unquote 5G, whatever. The fact that it had a, a cell radio that could actually work, like it would take some effort. Like you couldn't do it. But of course, like um, we wouldn't say that about VM servers. Like a virtual, um, you know, there's um, VMware servers everywhere. There's VMs running everywhere. It doesn't take anything to go find, uh, as we like to talk about Windows 2008 servers and Windows, you know, all that stuff is still running quite a oh, bit. Yeah. So, uh, and so Brian you know, kind of outlines the reasons. And I won't repeat all of his reasons because I think you should just go listen to the episode. But my question was more around this. It's like, maybe we have it wrong, right? Maybe our thought is like, because we think that, okay, the cloud is the future, but um, where we are today is to use, to, to pick up on Brian's analogy of the cell phone. It's like before the iPhone, right? We had, uh, remember WAP? Remember like we had websites that you could go to using the uh, the WAP protocol? Did you ever use that on a flip yeah, phone? Yeah, that- yeah, I think I used it on my my Palm Trio. Right. And so like you know, people then like so it's crazy now to look back at it. But people then were like, "Oh, this is the future." Right? I mean, no, yeah. like legitimately. I remember I had a vice president I was working under like he brought me his phone. He's like, "This is the future. We have to support um, I think it was a monitoring product we were working on. He's like, we need to support um, showing the monitoring on this device on the web." And I was like, "That's never going to work." Right? I remember looking at it like this I was like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't say well, you yeah, know, you 200 know by 160 resolution. Yeah. As any good product manager, you're like, that's a really good idea. Let me put it on the backlog. And you're like, never ask, like, n- just pretend you're like, never I'll put happened. that right, right after web TV support. Yeah. You're like, oh, no way. You're like, we're never doing that. And and so my point is just sort of like, but at the time it was like, it's definitely not going to work now. But you, but I think we kind of knew in the future, we're like, well, eventually, I don't think any of us thought of the iPhone at that point, but I think we were all like, Something will happen and it will get a lot better. And so that kind of brings me to like kind of where we are kind of picking up on this conversation that Brian started was maybe that's just where we're at right now is that the fact that most people are just moving over servers and there's a lot of lift and shift and there's a lot of infrastructure as a service. And, you know, it's kind of like we can't see it, but we're at the WAP stage of cloud adoption, right? And while everybody and all of the cloud vendors say this, they all say like, Oh, but it's coming, right? Like we're just in the first inning is usually the the analogy they use. But I think you could go back in here like like Verizon with a WAP phone would say like we're just in the first inning. But actually, we weren't even playing the right game. That's what I would go back in time and be like, we didn't know it. Like we get, we didn't have enough information, but we didn't even have what we needed. So my thought is like right now it seems impossible that AWS and these companies would be dethroned. But if you kind of think to yourself another paradigm shift is coming, right? And to get to 80% market share, uh, everything running in the cloud probably requires like some type of step change in the way that we build technology, right? Just letting everyone slowly migrate apps. I don't know if we're going to get to 80% anytime soon. So that's my question to you is like, what do you think? You're talking to a lot of people all the time. It's like, are we close and and we're on the right track? Are we actually... Sitting, we're actually waiting right now for the iPhone event in cloud to happen. And then when it happens, we'll be like, oh, we had it so wrong. No, no, I think, I think, um, I think the, the big cloud players, you know, Amazon, Azure, Google, they are, they have their fingers on the pulse of what's happening. They know what's coming, right? 
the problem is the customers aren't moving fast enough. And there are, you know, the, the only incentives, you know, to, to moving faster are, you know, the peril of going out of business. And that is the reason, you know, you see so many of these, you know, older, you know, Amazon and, and Walmart ate all the retailers, you know, th- there's still some left obviously, but you know, they are eating all the retailers and the, the, you know, the t- terror that the banks have is of these Fiserv companies that aren't tethered to, you know, 40 year old Fortran program or, you know, prologue with Fortran programs, you know, running on a mainframe somewhere They're you know, they're nimble and they can move fast and react to their customers' needs. And, I think I think the reckoning is just going to be, you know, the fact that when you look at things like uh, uh, the Fortune 500 or whatever, the average age of companies on that continues to decrease. Right? They're getting younger and younger all the time, and you know what, what's happening is just you know we're, we're seeing this um, accelerated survival of the fittest in business, and technology is is the engine of that. Right. And, and so the, the companies that are like, you know, well, we're, we're looking at replatforming this you know, application from AIX6 to AIX8, and we've got a four year plan for it. And we're going to bring in, you know, big four consulting firm to do it. It's like, sure, great. And, you know, in the meantime, they're going to be, you know, 15 Fiserv startups trying to do exactly what you're doing. And 14 of them are going to die or, you know, be acquired by, you know, your competitors. And, you know, but somebody's going to succeed. And, and, and so there's this, this, you know, um, I, I was, <laughs> I, I caught up on some, some old video watching and um, I was watching uh, Adrian Kokroft uh, talk from, from reInvent. And he talked about the fact that at the 2016 uh, hack day that they had at reInvent, um, every team used Lambda. Right. Like, you know, they were given a project 12 hours and nobody was like, well, I'm going to spin up some VMs and put some stuff on my, my, you know, CentOS seven. Um, you know, they were just like, you know, Hey, forget it. You know, I don't have time for that. I'm moving ahead and we're all in on this serverless thing. And so, you know, there are, there are a lot of businesses that will continue to exist because, you know, they're too big to fail. Um, but there will continue to be this, this churn rate. And what you will see is like the people who fully embrace technology, this is not a new revelation, the people who fully embrace technology and, and lean into becoming software companies are the ones that are going to win. And so like, sure, we can keep lifting and shifting these old apps and moving them forward. But if there is any sort of competitive advantage to be had out of not running them and legacy systems, you know, someone will, will, will take advantage of that. You know, your, your margins are someone else's, uh, uh, profits. And, and so, um, you know, I, the reason, you know, the reason for cloud adoption being slow, even though it's fast is, you know, there are still so many organizations that are in that quicksand of, you know, traditional enterprises and, you know, they're, they're looking at, well, how do we, you know, I mean, I get asked these sorts of questions. How do I continue to support 2008? You know, we have these apps running on 2012 or Red Hat 6 and, you know, we don't want to touch them. It's like, that's fine, you know, and you will pay through the nose to get someone to write them or, or to support them. But eventually, like, that's just dead weight. So um, I don't really so, know I, what the answer is. But I think, <laughs> no, but I think that's maybe something we don't talk about enough is like when I think what you're getting on is that like, Cause I'm very sympathetic. I talked to a lot of the same you know, types of customers, right? It's like, you know, sometimes I'll be like, we have 3000 applications, right? And it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's very difficult. Like you can't sit there and tell like, well, you should modernize like every one of these applications. Cause you know, that is a, a long process. And I think it really takes, if, if you're truly going to embrace it, like I, I was thinking of this interview I did a few months ago with uh, Drew Fermit uh, from, uh, over our friends, uh, a cloud guru, right? The training company. But anyway, before that, he was uh, one of the people at uh, Cap One, kind of like really, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to help. Um, he had some kind of like cloud um, evangelist, right? Kind of inside it. But, you know, in the interview, he kind of said like, it, it took probably 10 years from start to finish for Capital One to like get rid of all the data centers and put everything in AWS in their case, right? And it's like, but the only reason they even got there, right, was that, they ultimately had that executive buy-in. Like people understood from the top, this is where they wanted to be. And I think 
today, I mean, I don't know, like it would be kind of a fair question. I don't follow banking close enough to say, is Cap One doing so much better than all the other banks? Uh, but they certainly seem well positioned, right? At least on the IT side to go forward. But I don't know if you could sit there and say it's a slam dunk, but it takes somebody at that level and a commitment to really make it happen. And it's not always obvious. And I think kind of back to, um, you know, the Amazon a little bit, AWS is, is sort of like going to the birth of AWS and that kind of somewhat famous uh, Google engineer that ranted on about like the only thing that was good about Amazon was, you know, basically the APIs, right? The fact that everything had to be in APIs. You can almost make the argument potentially that, you know, Jeff Bezos and Andy Jassy is like, the fact that they were willing to, at, at that point, basically mandate that, like everything in Amazon, right? Kind of the two pizza teams, everything has to have an API, um, can't have any dependencies. Um, the fact that they did that, you know, may have well have been the decision that really vaulted Amazon to its massive success, right? Because if you think about that infrastructure, not only did it spin off AWS, but it sort of underlies all of the way things uh, Amazon are built. So if you think about launching video and launching all of the, the new services they have, the reason they can do it is because they kind of made this commitment to, you know, loosely coupled uh, interfaces, which, which is not a new idea, right? That idea and from object oriented has been around, I don't know, probably since like the seventies, like small talk and talking about like well-defined APIs. So it's not like that idea was even new. The fact that like a CEO at their level, um, embraced it. So, so almost like the best case is sort of like, look at what Amazon's been able to do by embracing kind of this architecture. And, you know, that's what's maybe vaulted them success. Or you could say, well, now it was a bunch of other stuff. It didn't have anything to do with that. Um, but I think this is the real <laughs> dilemma for companies today is that, you know, trying to modernize so much is so difficult that, that the yeah. end result, maybe what you're saying is like the way things get modernized is companies go out of business and they're no longer a problem, right? That, well, that's I mean, how that, it that, actually that happens. Is, that is what you need. You know, if you are a decision maker, you need to look that in the eye and say like, it's coming, right? And, you know, everybody knows this. this is, you know, we're, we're just, you know, regurgitating the you know, software eating the world. It's still eating, right? It's not full. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, you can't, which is why you see, you know, the, the CIOs who, you know, or CTOs who, who jump, you know, every three or four years, because it's like, you know, you can start a company on that path, but getting them all the way through may be hard. Uh, you may just, you know, run into the headwinds of, you know, they, they won't commit to it all the way. Um, you know, but also like a lot of these companies, they're, they're walking dead, but you can walk for a long time. Right. right. But like, yeah, I was gonna say, like, let me take the other side of the same argument. Cause the other part I was, as I was listening to uh, that cloudcast episode is we'll go the other way. So say like, maybe the idea that like that 90% will be in the cloud, maybe that is just wrong. Like maybe the fact that like, that we, maybe we think it would get there now, but like in practice it won't happen. And I can think of like all the mainframe applications that we depend on. Right. And I think of the one I was thinking about pr pretty much us based is, you know, check clearing. Right. So here in the United States, it still takes three days for a check to clear through the ACH processing. And I realize the rest right. of the world has moved on. Like all of you, you and Cote tell me all the time about how crazy it is. And I'm like, I agree. Like I've lived here my entire life. And I'm like, I, I've never been like, this makes any sense. But that system, I don't think it's any closer to being displaced now than it was 20 years ago. Like it works Nobody seems incented. Like, think about how many startups have come at this to try to like displace it. But still, today, the financial system continues to run on that. So, that may be the other idea is that like stuff will just stay there for, I mean, for a very long time, approaching probably a hundred years. Like, will it be a hundred years go by before that check, a check in the United States clears instantaneously? I mean, because we're probably like, I, I make no joke. I think you're, we're 60 years into ACH, maybe. I don't know. I have to look and yeah. see exactly when it was. It's like 50 years into FTP. Yeah. So, so you're so like, we're probably. ACH was still using, you know, mail and fax probably, but see, yeah. I was going to say, so 40 years from now, right? You're like, I, like even money, like 40 years from now, will it still take three days for a check to clear in the United States? Oh, wow. That's, that's one of those long bets that I don't know if I could That'd take. That would be um, Legacy Comp 40 when we're having this discussion. We, we, should, we should bring on the person that's like, like entire generations will have gone by. And they'll be like, it's yeah. still working on a mainframe. It's still somewhere up in suburban Maryland. It, it's I running think. on Open Hercules managed by <laughs> Kubernetes 78. 
right? Um, yeah, there's the the open Hercules operator. <laughs> but I know, but I think that's the other part of that. It's like, so maybe some stuff just never, and then, and so maybe the goal is just wrong, right? The goal is like, no, it's never like, well, the, the fact and, that everyone and, and says it's going to grow doesn't mean it's going to happen. And, and, and I don't think 90% in the cloud makes any sense, right? Because what is the cloud? You know, when, when you start talking about edge computing, is that in the cloud? What if, what about things that talk to the cloud, but have physical space outside the cloud, right? And it gets a little wishy-washy where I don't think, yeah, I don't think 80% is reasonable. I think um, compute will continue to be distributed. I think, you know, there dedicated data centers are probably on their way out, but I think there's a lot of edge computing that is going to take a lot of that volume because it's such a long tail. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of volume um, of just stuff that isn't going to migrate into, you know, the, the massive data centers, but um, yeah, I don't think, I think the days of, of, you know, every little bank having their own data center, those should be gone. I mean, and maybe, maybe the, some of those services can, can, you know, even ACH can, can get out of the, you know, if, if, if the, you know, spoiler event for reinvent, you know, spoiler reinvent, they're going to be like ACH as a service. Right. And, and they'll just, you know, have it and they'll put park it next to the satellite service and there'll be like 14 customers and they'll pay out the noses through it. But you know what? They'll be happy that they don't have to manage that anymore. Yeah. Well, I, you know, somebody, um, I just did this interview this past week and, uh, ho- hopefully everyone will check it out. Grant from our, our friends over at replicated. And so, you know, he, he was making the comment like sort of like a modern on-prem or something like that. And I, I thought it was kind of an interesting idea. It was just simply, it's like, well, what we've really done, we've just moved the data center. Like to your point, like, like what phase are we in? It's like, well, everyone's really getting out of the data center business and, and moving it into their favorite public cloud. But when you really look at what the applications are, they run almost in an identical type fashion, right. To how they were running yeah. in a data center. It's just like, now you don't have to manage it. So you know, I guess it kind of comes back That's to not the big savings of the cloud. Right. No, right. everybody gets it though. No, what you know, but I think to get to the big savings, right? Like we all know the big savings is some type of new architecture, cloud yeah, native. It's, it's, way <laughs> managed services it. are not are not the 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 leap. You know, but I think that's the, the hard thing. I think I think maybe the question is like, can we get there? And, and there's just a, a funny comment here in the chat is uh, someone saying that they don't think Kubernetes is it, Matt. They think Kubernetes may not be the the savior. Where, where do you come down on that? I, but the thing is, it's like whatever, whatever replaces Kubernetes is because we don't care about that layer anymore. Right. So, so, you know, Kubernetes just, you know, it, that's like saying, you know, sure, we still talk about CPUs, but we really don't care. You know, we don't care about x86. No, no, Matt, you and I care. Kote doesn't care. <laughs> we, you and I care. Don't get that wrong. But, but the people running the software, you know, the CTOs, yeah. they don't care. And, and so, like, yes, Kubernetes could get replaced, but it'll, by the time it does, it's going to be by something we don't care about anymore, you know. And you know, just like Red Hat will continue to make money selling Red Hat Linux, um, you know, people will continue to make money at selling that layer. But we will have moved past that, and and you know, we will hopefully live in some sort of you know serverless no code utopia. Well, Matt, I only hope that the the thing that replaces Kubernetes is uh, easier to spell. This episode is brought to you by CBT Nuggets. Are you looking to build your IT skills? Do you want to learn more about IT security, cloud computing, or networking? Then it's time to visit CBT Nuggets. They offer over 350 courses and over 2,000 virtual labs. They have courses available on everything, including AWS, Linux, VMware, and even Salesforce. Best of all, it's available online so you can learn what you want, when you want. CBT Nuggets adds over 40 hours of new training each week, so there's always something new to learn. They also offer accountability coaching, allowing you to speak with a real person who can help you create a personalized learning plan, set goals, and check in to make sure you stay on track. To get started, visit cbtnuggets.com slash STT. That's cbtnuggets.com slash STT. There you can sign up for the seven-day free trial, which gets you full access to all their courses. Start learning today at cbtnuggets.com slash STT. And of course, we thank them for sponsoring our show. Well, Matt, you are the expert on all things privacy, um, and I mean that in a good way. Even though <laughs> oh, yeah. I, sometimes I wonder if you you go a little too far. But our friends at Signal they did something this week that I have to say I think it was brilliant. It uh, they ran some ads, I guess on I guess on Instagram, and it was kind of fascinating what they did. They basically 
use the Facebook targeting system to find people in specific cohorts. And then what they did was they wrote an ad using that information from the cohort that says why they're seeing that. So it said something like, yes. you're seeing this ad because you live in this place. Your likely job op- occupation was this. But then they had some like strangely, like some stuff like, like I leave the crazy privacy stuff to you. So I, I but like even I was sort of taken back by some of the stuff they showed, right? About how um, specific and yeah, and well, just like I mean, how the, the, intimate some of these details were. You're like, whoa, yeah. like I don't think like you wouldn't be at a party and you wouldn't ask people this question. Like you wouldn't be like, oh, I think you're, I won't even repeat some of it because I think it's like kind of super private, but it was like, and so it, it did. I, I, so it had two effects. One, it was a little bit shocking. And then two, um, it, I think it's probably the best education about uh, personal privacy that I've seen, I don't know, in a long time, maybe yeah. ever, because it's just like, it just, it exposes it to you. So, so first question for you is like, do you, and then of course, Facebook took down the ads. So one, of course. do you think uh, running the ads, like, was there anything wrong with running these ads? Like, did they cross oh, no. some line? No, 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 no. I, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, Signal, um, makes a lot of hay out of, you know, sticking a finger in Facebook's eye. And, uh, you know, it's a, a great ad because, you know, when you look at how specific these ads were, you know, newlywed Pilates instructor thinking about LGBT adoption. I mean, that's, that's in La Jolla. Um, you know, that, that is like, that's so specific that it, pro- you know, quite likely did not get used. Right. And, and, and so, you know, there, there's been some meta conversations around this is like, you know, did Signal, Signal probably did buy these sorts of ads. They probably bought, you know, I don't know, a hundred of them. And they're all super crazy specific, but probably they only actually ended up in front of like two people or something. Right. And then probably what happened to Signal, you know, Facebook, you know, complained, maybe even because Signal probably talked about it before they got canceled. <laughs> right. Signal's like, look at these crazy ads we put out. Like nobody actually saw them. And then Facebook was like, well, you can't do that. You know, you can't do that. You absolutely can do that. Right. And, and that's how Facebook apparently makes their money is crazy specific ads that uh, get kind of creepy. And the fact that, you know, Facebook has bought multiple like uh, ad tracking networks and credit agencies um, where, you know, they, they, that that tinfoil hat needs to be on because they have this sort of information and you know they use it to make very comprehensive portfolios of you where you know these ads are true i mean you know the ads might not yeah no they know. definitely well i another meta comment about the whole thing is like you know i think signal at least as i perceive them they come across as like hey we're just a, a group of really smart engineers that believe in privacy that know a lot about encryption that are devoted to kind of, you know, if you will, protecting your data. And like last week we talked about some of the interesting things they're doing to prevent like hacking, right? Of, you know, yeah, of, they're, of that. they're just going to become, <laughs> we're just going to have a, a dedicated session to talking about Signal. I know, but like, we... but like, I think inside this, like, I actually think the people at Signal here, right? Brilliant social marketers, right? I mean, this, I think last week's post, was it Moxie? I can't remember his name, exactly his exact name, but like, you know, it was really well written. It was, it was funny. It was sarcastic. It was tongue in cheek, all those things. So, Kudos to him if he wrote the whole thing start to finish. But it kind of felt like potentially a professional writer helped out. Oh, yeah, that, right? yeah. In a good yeah. way. And I mean that in a good way. And I think the same thing here. It's like this is incredibly creative. Obviously, it lines well with their strategy. But just everything, the way that the design of the ads, the way that they they kind of uh, highlighted the, the places where they clearly were taking some of the profile or cohort information and plugging it in, the fact that it like had a nice – PR push behind it, right? It was just like, oh, look at these ads. To your point, like maybe they bought, you know, a hundred dollars worth, like whatever they pay to make the ads, which are probably very small because it's it was creative to come up with, but it was they not didn't that get hard to anybody, right? Did it show That's it to the key. That's the key to these ad marketplaces. You can have your crazy specific ads, right. and if they don't get shown to anybody, you but think pay. about the brilliance of this. The whole strategy is yep. brilliant. The ad is uh, brilliant. You're not spending any money on Facebook. You're getting a ton of. Uh, news, natural, what we call it, uh, media coverage, right? Earned media coverage. And I was like, I was like, the people at Signal, like, I don't okay. know. They, okay. they I, are gonna, pretty savvy. Put, here, here comes my tinfoil hat coming, coming off. What if Tim Cook's involved? Puts it back mm. on. <laughs> That's that, my friend. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sort of stunned. I need to like take that in. They're like, um, well, you know, because Apple's um, got the marketing, right? Uh-huh. 
I, I mean, you know, there's there's a, a you know a feud that continues to bubble between uh, you know between Apple and Facebook, yeah. essentially. So you know, why not have you know your uh, your you know your um, uh, you know proxy come in and and you know pick a bigger fight, you know, because because yeah. Signal is not what aren't they like a nonprofit? Well, that's what I think is interesting here. They I think they are technically ours, right? They're funded obviously through kind of the benevolence of a former. Uh, WhatsApp co-founder, like, you know, seated him with like $50 million. So, you know, their agenda seems to be, hey, we just believe in privacy, um, but they aren't, they don't seem to have the the typical venture capital pressures. They're not trying to be a billion dollar company. Although, you know, the, I was reminded um, because when I was doing the, the interview with Grant last week, he used to work in PR, right? Before he got into running this startup. And he said, you know, one of the things he said was, you know, uh, and he even mentions this Paul Graham piece. I think it's called submarine content. And it's like mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. that is that you read, right? There was somebody behind the scenes working to get that published, right? So there was some yep. agenda. And Someone that's is trying I, to I, influence you. Yeah. And so when I see this with Signal, it's like on face value, it is. It seems like Signal is just advocating um, on behalf that the service is really private. But like it was like this is so well executed and this is so well placed in the media, it makes me think like, what is, like, is there a bigger agenda? Like you threw one out, right? You threw out like a nice one. It's like, well, maybe there's a competitor out there that that really sees some value in helping signal. Well, maybe it's just and, simple and the, as- the, the agendas don't have to be like skullduggery or anything. It's like, you know, maybe the agendas, like we're tired of people having all this stuff about us, right? Yeah, no, I think you're right. So signal's definitely coming in it from that point of view. My question is like, I what I'm interested in is like, did they conceive of this entire campaign on their own or did someone come to them an outside force to say, Hey, you know, really like what you're doing here. Uh, maybe this would be a real way to show what's going on. And, you know, here's some creative people that maybe you want to work with, right. That could help you get yeah. some publications in the news. Like, and again, it doesn't have to be like, doesn't have to be any motivation other than just aligned interest. But, uh, but again, and, or maybe my read on signal is wrong. Maybe my belief that it's just like 10 really smart engineers. Like, I just think they're in a dark room. They're just inventing all kinds of encryption. They're working they're like, remote, man. You know, they're working but, remote. They're working remote. They, you know, get the headphones on. They're like looking up all the latest encryption stuff. They're coming up with all this. And it's like, I just didn't think, like, I didn't envision that group. Like, hey, let's get together and think of a really interesting advertising campaign. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah. I'm yeah. selling uh, them short. I don't think it came from the engineers. I, I, I'll agree with you there. Okay. Well, I want somebody behind the scenes. Tell me. Tell me where our friends at Signal got that idea. Because it was simply a fantastic uh, ad campaign. But of course, Matt, the question I always ask is like, you know, you and I, we don't really, when we talk, we, we don't use, use signal so that maybe that's the big problem. Like we, we just use Slack. I use signal. I, yeah, I've I've moved a couple of conversations off of WhatsApp to signal. Yeah. I will say this though. You know, when you get a signal message, you're like, Ooh, when that, like that little alert goes off, you're like, Oh, it's going to be something good. Like it's definitely like (laughs) like, when I get, when people, when I get it, I'm always like, Ooh, I'm going to check that something good is coming in for sure. But the, the thing for me is it's it's uh, replaced my SMS app. So um, for I don't everything, really but you don't have, you don't use anything. You don't use WhatsApp. You don't use anything else. No, no, no. I mean, it, it will uh, you know it will uh, run your SMS for you. So so you, oh, you can. I see. I so, see. Which, yeah. you know, signal messages are coming through the signal, but also it, SMS. So I don't it. know which. I mean, there's probably some. Uh, I see. I don't have that. Tells like, me which ones listen, are actual signal. I I know. Like I'm 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 never giving up uh, Apple messages. Like I, that's it. Like I don't I don't even like I don't when people when you get the green bubble you're like I, that's like when you get that kind of message you're like this is not going to work. I don't want to talk to these people. I don't want to message with these people. It's like the messages <laughs> are going to get out of order. Send me a signal. Like that's really what I want. Send me a signal. And I'll okay, be, I'll, I'll be send excited. you some signals, Brandon. All right, get on it. All right, Matt. Well, we got to get out of here. Um, Let's see, we've got a little bit of feedback this week. Um, lots of jobs uh, from the Software Defined Talk Slack, which you can join yeah. by checking out uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com. Uh, Ryan wants you to work as a, a data dog, as a technical writer. So that sounds pretty good. Uh, Jordy says there's a ton of jobs at uh, Weaveworks. But yeah. this is maybe, I don't know, potentially the coolest job we've ever had. Jeffrey wants you to become the SRE of World of Warcraft. So that's my question. Have you played World of Warcraft, Matt? Do you know anything about it? Are you good at it? <laughs> uh, my my oldest son plays um, mm-hmm. from time to time, I think. Or 
he plays some blizzard games uh you know and uh my have not uh, like i i i avoided that because i know i know that i i am the um uh video game uh addict type and and online ones with lots of people that that doesn't end well you know i find myself wasting a lot of time i already have a hard enough time with you know factorio and and uh the ps4 and stuff so uh no i have not played that one uh i i stopped with starcraft 2 that's you know i i revisit that from time to time and uh you know but my son definitely plays a, a lot of uh different blizzard online games all right well everyone should check it out i would love it if the uh person that got this job came from the software defined talk community um i can't say i really played i don't really i'm not gonna pretend i really know anything about it i just thought to myself like i wonder what a qbr is like at when you're like working on world of warcraft are they just like like what do they yell at you about they're like guys you know the game is not looking well, good where's not enough violence where's the violence i, I, you know? I, I know or, some like, people who work over at uh, Epic, so maybe I can try to wrangle one of them in for an interview sometime. All right, yeah, that would be good. Explain to us what it's really like. Um, we've got a bunch of uh, conferences uh, on the on the docket here, so it looks like a Rabbit MQ Summit. That's July 13th and 14th, so that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, Cloud Native Con, it's already over. If you're hearing this, it's already over, but I'm sure it was great. Maybe we'll cover some of the news uh, next week. Uh, word is, uh, so is it SLO Conf or Slow Conf? Yeah. Um, I heard there's like, there's a luminary speaking there. Can would you like to let us, do you know who this is? Like, like a real DevOps, uh, founder, like who, who is this person that's going to be speaking there? Uh, I don't know. John Willis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I try to set you up there, Matt, you know, where does Matt's going to be talking there? What are you going to be talking yeah, about? Matt? That, my talk is recorded. They, they were very aggressive about getting talks. It's already done. done? Weeks. Already done. It's in the can for t- in, for two talk. weeks. Who does their homework two know, weeks right? ahead of time? This is incredible. I know. All right, yeah. Kudos well. to uh, the 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 organizers, uh, the Noble Nine folks, for uh, cracking the whip. All right. Well, everyone, you can go uh, go to Twitter. There's a very nice picture of Matt. Clearly, uh, it's been photoshopped, probably, but it looks really good. <laughs> Uh, hey. <laughs> you look 10 years younger um but it looks yeah, good i'm sure one. your talk well i guess i guess we already know you already know your talk is good because it's already yep. done so you know and then if kote were here he would probably uh tell you to uh get ready for spring one that's going to be uh september 1st to 2nd and uh you know i bet you i bet you still if you have a good idea for a talk i bet you if you reached out to him i bet, I, bet, I think he knows people he can probably get your talk still get in there, so. you in there yeah so fi- find the way um so with all that said, I'll, I'll just finally, if you want some stickers, all you got to do is email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I'll be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with all that said and done, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, my, my recommendation this week is uh, uh, sabbaticals. <laughs> I'm going back on my sabbatical uh, after today. So um, thanks to uh, Australia's labor laws, I, I get... Um, two months for hitting 10 years uh, with the same company and uh, going back on sabbatical. So that's interesting, but it's tied to a company. You have to work at the same company for 10 full years and everyone in Australia, if that happens, you get a sabbatical, like no questions asked. Yeah. Man, Australia's like, they're on it. Although I would, let's be honest, I never make it 10 years at the same place. I just, I just can't, it seems almost like if that were to happen, something else in my life is, is probably gone incredibly wrong. So I don't, I don't know well, why, but it just feels like that would never happen. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I had a lot of variety in my 10 years. And, and part of it was, you know, getting relocated to another country. And that's true. You know, a lot of different jobs at the same company. You did a bunch of different yes. things there. So that's true. And your company got bought. So in some ways, yeah. All right. So you kind of did it. You you made it happen. All right. Well, Matt, um, I'm going to set you up here with an obvious segue and I'm going to see if you fail. What, what on your sabbatical will you be reading, Matt? (laughs) Um, I need to, uh, to get on it because next week we're going to be talking about working backwards. All right. And we have a lot to say. Working backgrounds is a little inside story of Amazon. So we're going to, I, I have no doubt we're going to have a lot to say and we're probably not, and we probably won't have everyone finish the, the, the book by then, but we're still doing the episode hey, one way or the hey, other. Hey, challenge accepted. Challenge uh, accepted. So, so heads up rest of the world. We, we don't need any news because next week. We yeah. Next week's fine. It. If it's not, if it's a slow news week, we're good for once. We're actually on top. We have something to talk about. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, say everyone save great news for the following week. That's what we really want. 
All right. Well, enjoy your sabbatical, Matt. Um, one of the things you can do on your sabbatical is watch my recommendation, which is uh, Mayor of Easttown. It's a new HBO show. I really like it. I mean, it's uh, got Kate Winslet in. It's based uh, kind of a murder mystery, but it's like it's a little different and it's really well done. Um, and I think it's three episodes. So uh, stuff, stuff starting to happen that makes it like, make me, makes me feel like it's going to be a little bit different from your typical murder mystery. So I'm very optimistic. So everyone can check out, uh, mayor of Easttown. And then of course, if you want to listen to uh, more of us, and I guess in this case, it's really more of me, you can listen to the interview I did with uh, grant from replicated, just go back in the feed and, um, it's right there for you. All right. And with all that said and done, if, uh, this is the first time you've ever heard software defined talk, welcome, uh, just go to software defined talk dot com slash 298 you can get all the show notes for everything we talked about and a bunch of things that we didn't and with that we will talk to you next time bye now my wife just texted me photos uh somebody left the pantry door open and the dog got into the food coloring <laughs> fantastic all right well, there you go Say, tell, uh, he, took a, he took a bag of flour to his bed oh this send uh send send uh, the pictures uh yeah over and these. you know that could be some easy cover art for us this week you know oh we, my gosh stupid dog yeah.